This is Hope After Hurt, a Yes podcast. We talk about church hurt, stories of disappointment, and the future of community. With the goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building a better leader for generations to come. Join this community created for healing, hope, and heroes. Now your host, a pastor's kid who has served everywhere from startups to some of the largest churches in the world, Drew Barker. Let's go. It's the Yes Podcast where we're saying yes to what God has next. Special thanks to everyone who is sharing this podcast and sharing all of our social media platforms. If you haven't yet, I want to encourage you to invite someone in on this journey with you as we discover hope after hurt. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing church hurt, sharing stories of disappointment, and talking about the future of community. And all of this really comes with a goal of healing from past pains, inspiring hope for the future, and building better leaders for generations to come. Today, we're going to hear from a special guest with decades of ministry experience that's going to help us discuss leadership, the future of leadership, and what ministry really needs to look like moving forward. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment and like thank all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't express my gratitude enough for the encouragement and the engagement following our premiere episode a few weeks back. And and, and really, just the conversations, the, the post, the social media, the reviews, and most importantly, the friendships, it, it's just meant so much to me. And last episode, I shared something that no one really knew about me and, and really just incredibly hard for me to do. And all of you surrounded me with such positivity and community and reassurance. And I saw such great engagement from that story that I decided, you know what, today, I'm just going to kick this episode off with another church hurt story. I'm just going to dive right in. And so this story, I want you to understand, it's really quite different than what I shared last episode. As you remember, last episode, I spoke about a moment of poor judgment from a leader. And for those kinds of moments, I have extreme empathy, understanding, and grace. After all, I've made my fair share of mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes, not just as a leader, but as a human being. And so I have a lot of empathy for those situations, but this story goes way past a moment. And it turns into a lifestyle. And that's something I just have more rigid takes on when it comes to leadership. I had just moved my family into a new location and accepted a new position at a church. I think I was more excited about this church than really anything I had ever been involved in before. I saw incredible potential, not just in the community, but in the people I was leading Like this staff was so talented. I was super excited. I couldn't wait to see how God was going to move. Unfortunately, at my very first staff meeting, I just knew something was off. Hey everyone, great news. The pastor's wife is transitioning off of staff. Oh, and the lead pastor? He's no longer wearing his wedding band. I'm, I'm sure, guys, I'm sure everything is fine. 
I didn't have it all figured out at that point, but man, that was a really tough first staff meeting to witness. It was my first week. And then just a couple months later, we have a special meeting with all the pastors and senior leadership at the church. I'm pretty sure you can already put two and two together and guess what's coming next. Oh, and husbands and wives were invited. That'll be important later. So we eat. We pretend we don't notice that the pastor's wife and family isn't present. And then the pastor speaks. From what I remember, the goal was separation with the hopes of restoration. The the pastor's wife and the pastor, they're just going to take a little break from their marriage. I sat in a room with my wife and people that I really don't know very well and heard the pastor explain that he just wasn't happy anymore. He hadn't been happy in like over 10 years. And so even though there had been no issues of porn or adultery or anything like that, at least according to him, separation with the hopes of restoration. When I made my way to the car, I literally yelled and screamed. No words, just yelled and screamed. I could not believe this was happening. How is this happening? I was just so confused. I'm looking at my wife. What do we do now? What do we do? And, and it's fascinating that my wife was there because during the interview process, my wife was sick. And so my wife never got to meet the lead pastor. This was her first time meeting him. First time. Also, did you, wait a minute. Did you just hire me knowing all of this was happening? Oh, of course you did. Of course you did. And you said nothing. So in the interview, when I asked about the pastor, his family, his relationship, like when I asked nothing, you didn't think a marriage on the brink of separation was worth mentioning to someone moving their family for a job? That just, that wasn't a concern to you. This was easily the most cowardly, manipulative, narcissistic approach I had ever seen. I'd never witnessed anything like this. So my wife and I had a decision to make. What do we do? And here's what we decided. We're going to give it a year. In the state of North Carolina, separation, before divorce, you have to be separated for a year. So we're going to give it a year. And we're going to pray for our pastor. We're going to pray for his marriage. We're going to pray for his family. We're going to pray for his wife. And we're going to see what happens. Now, most of our prayers revolved around remorse, honesty, and selfishly, maybe even like a new leader stepping in. Because at the end of the day, 
This man was obviously hurting. You're already going through a difficult season in ministry. Now you're going through an entirely difficult season with your family. Can we get this guy some care? Counseling? Let's just, let's help him, please. And unfortunately, we receive none of that. In fact, I would argue that we received the opposite. Victim mentality, narcissistic leadership, no ownership, and no backing down from position. And look, I could share stories for days about the jokes the pastor made in meetings about him being without his wife now. I could share the partial truth that was shared with the congregation. I could even share how when it was time for me to walk away, 14 months later, he brought me into his office for a one-on-one, which is totally against the rules, by the way. Leaders out there, I had already turned in my notice. Don't do that. And he explained, quote, I wish I could say it was a good run or even a long run, but at least it was a run. And then asked me to pack my things and leave. No need to be around. Go home and be with your family. Kind of ironic, really. So I left. And look, I'm just sharing like part of this. I'm not even really getting into a ton of specifics. Like we're not going to dive into the $200,000 Mercedes he drives or the over million and a half dollar house that he lives in without his wife, the elaborate vacations, the time away from church, or even the fact that he's still preaching, leading, and pretending to be a biblical representation of the body of Christ. Because as I've said before, I truly believe that God put these moments of poor leadership in my path so that we can all get better. So let's get better. What can we learn from this? Right off the bat, let's quote just a great leader, Craig Rochelle. Let's quote Craig Rochelle, because after all, this pastor loves Craig Rochelle. He loves him. So what does Craig Rochelle say? Quote, Be yourself. Be yourself. People would rather follow a leader who is always real than a leader who is always right, end quote. So all my leaders out there, please understand, you don't have to be perfect. You you really don't. You, (laughs) like, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be honest. Quit pretending you're a leader and be one. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with your team. Because people would rather follow a leader who is always real than a leader who is always right. Be yourself. Number two, where integrity is absent, pride is present. Where integrity is absent, pride is present is present. If you're in a situation right now where you feel like you're hiding something or you can't be you because of what you're doing behind the scenes, you have a pride problem. And so you need to own that and you need to confess that and you need to seek help and you need to grow through the process. Leaders, When we make a mistake, we own up to it. 
we confess it. We seek help. And we grow through the process. And number three, the level of your accountability determines your level of discipline. And this is where I would argue the church failed this pastor and the pastor failed himself because there was absolutely no accountability set up. None. Sure, there was a board. <laughs> there was a board, no, no authority on that board. I remember having conversations with another staff member at the time that was trying to figure out how could we build a board of accountability so that we could remove this pastor. These are the conversations that were happening in the hallway. And this staff member would be one person in a meeting with pastor and then come into the hallway or come into the office and had felt like his hands were tied. No way to get this guy out. Well, of course, we had to do what's best for the church. We have to do what's best for the church. And now that's an interesting statement. Because, Joe, I don't know about you, but it seems like the majority of times I hear we have to do what's best for the church, it involves sweeping something under the rug. That does seem to be the primary implication or the behind-the-scenes meaning of that. Like, we need to do what's best for the church often means, on a church staff context, we need to figure out a way to protect the image of the church by not exposing that we're real people who have made mistakes. Thank you. That's beautifully said. And here's what I'm learning. That's garbage. It is absolute garbage. What's best for the church is the same thing that's best for your own family. Honesty, accountability, discipline. Because I'll tell you right now, if you're in an organization that is saying things like this, that's saying things like, oh, we have to do what's best for the church. Guess what? You, there's a problem. And I think a lot of people might assume that the desire of not doing that is to seek some sort of punishment. But I think what it really should be and the approach that it should be is to not shield people from consequences because consequences are a natural response to us making mistakes. And by not going through them, we're not allowing ourselves in the process that God wants of refining us and making us into who he wants us to be. And look at the examples of the Old Testament, the leaders that are quoted as after God's own heart. They did some stuff that That's would terrible. immediately fire a bull offense. And yet they didn't shy away from the consequences of those things. They continued to work under it. They repented. And God still used them for amazing things, even after the fact. And sometimes even greater things, even after the fact. But in those situations, those things were not swept under the rug. Like I'm thinking about David specifically. Sure. Nathan the prophet just in front of, hey, let me tell you a story. And he tells a story about a guy that took advantage of a poor shepherd. And David's like, that's terrible to kill him. And uh, Nathan was like, yeah, that's you. That's exactly what you did. You, right. you stole that man's wife and you sent him out to battle to die. That's you. Right. And his response wasn't like, all right, listen, Nathan, let's not tell anybody. Let's get our stories together in a line sure. and we're going to make an announcement. His story was... With half the truth. Yes. Right. His story was repent. Right. And he spent days and morning praying 
it's not about punishment. I don't think anybody wanted to see David, like from if Israel was the church in that metaphor, nobody wanted to see Israel hurt because David made a mistake. Sure. And churches don't want that either. They don't want to see their church hurt because somebody on the church staff made a mistake. But if stuff is swept under the rug, we're not allowing the process of natural consequences to happen. Well, and do we not care for these people, Joe? Most of them probably do. Sure. Well, yeah. You would, let them, you would do what the Bible says, which is come up beside them and help them carry is. their burden and as they're going through the consequences of their mistake. Because in a couple of weeks, it might be you going through the consequences of 100%. your mistake. 100%. So here's the difference. If my four-year-old does something wrong, my response is to address the behavior. It's to excommunicate him from the family. Him from the family. Put him on a two-year <laughs> plan of reinstatement where he can, if he follows these certain rules, right. he can then come he back can to come the back dinner to table. Church. Not yeah. this church, but a different church. <laughs> Here's the thing. If my four-year-old makes a mistake, I address the mistake. There's discipline, but my love and care for that person doesn't change. If I look at my four-year-old and say, don't tell your mother. Let's just keep this between us. Guess what? Or to continue the metaphor, like, here's what we're going to tell mom. Oh my <laughs> gosh, could you? But that's what we're doing. Don't just use the good parts of your life. Use your life. Like, it's the we, thing see, that we see this with David, like you mentioned. We see this with Rahab the prostitute. We, Rahab didn't just give God yeah. the good parts of her life. He literally used a lying prostitute who was really good at hiding men, by the way, to do what? Hide men. Because what we have to understand is God doesn't use us because we change. God is the resource by which we are changed. So our job is to let God take all of us, use all of us, the good and the bad. And this whole thing, this myth that is running rampant of just do what's best for the church you better flip that quick because there is a generation coming out that if you haven't noticed is seeking truth. And if they find lies, you're done. And I think the fallacy behind the statement of let's do what's best for the church is it's intended in the context that we're talking about it as let's protect the organization. Sure. So if you're an outsider to church, another way of saying that is Let's protect organized religion. That doesn't paint a picture of, I want to get- Can you just say that one more time? I want to get involved in that. Can you just say that one more time? <laughs> what we're really meaning in that context is let's protect the church as in organized religion, mm -hmm. not as in the church like capital C church, which is what the Bible talks about in sure. that context. And so sure. that church is the collection of people that are Christ followers that do their best to try and live up to the standards that he's called us to. Sure, We're saying one thing, from a church staff standpoint, and the people in the congregation might hear, yeah, let's do what's best for the church. And they hear, like, the church, the capital C church. So let's do what's best. Yeah, of course, we're with that. But nobody in that congregation is probably as invested as protecting organized religion. Oh, let's do that. Let's protect that rap. Most of us who call ourselves Christians don't give a crap about protecting organized religion's no. reputation. We really, like, we just want someone who's honest. Just be a human being. Just be normal. I get it. Pressure's high. You're leading. Look, with any organization, whether it's a church or a business or both, whatever, like regardless of your situation, if you're leading at a high level, I do understand it. I do get it. I grew up in a family where my dad wore that hat and I've worn as close to that hat as you can get. But I've had the task 
of needing to live out great leadership. And so I, I get the weight. You can't just hide stuff like that. It always comes back and it always comes back worse. It always does. So I'm just letting you know, if you're currently in an organization of any kind that doesn't have accountability, it's just a matter of time before there's a big problem. We're going to take a short break. And when we come back, our special guest talks through what leadership needs in the future. Did you know that Drew's family can help you with shipping, printing, packing, shredding, branding, and every ing imaginable? That's right, they own three of the UPS stores in North Carolina. If you're near the city of Cary or the Clayton, North Carolina area, please make sure you stop into your local, the UPS store, and say yes to local family-owned business. Hey, welcome back to Hope After Hurt. We have a special guest as promised, and I'm so excited to introduce to you Marianne Sibley. You could call Marianne a, a coach for church leaders, but I, I think she would rather be called like a cheerleader or even a ninja. Marianne believes that helping people with small steps is just as important as providing the bigger vision, goals, and best practices. In fact, as a ninja, her best work is really done behind the scenes, helping you shine and you lead better and creating healthier volunteer teams. And Marianne, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for the invitation. <laughs> so glad you're here. And, and honestly, I want to take a moment and just, just encourage you because I feel like, man, we've known each other now over a decade. Mm -hmm. We've worked together, we've served together, and we've cast vision together. But I don't know that I've always done the best job of really thanking you for what you've meant in my life. You're someone that just always has time for me and always is able to sit with me in my situation and shows empathy incredibly well. And I've always found that you're able to read my emotions, even if it's just a telephone call to know whether you really need to speak into my situation or just say, I'm sorry you're going through that. I've really appreciated and been so encouraged by the time we've had together over the last decade or so. And so it just I just wanted to let you know personally and publicly here that it just means a lot. It really does. You've been an unbelievable uh, friend and ministry partner in my life. Wow. I don't even know how to respond to that. That's okay. Except you don't have to. <laughs> But I feel I want to because that's what relationships are all about. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're here today. And, and it's also a testament to when our true motivation is to serve God and mm. we're, we're going to fail. But as people, we can constantly come back to one another. So it's been a long time since we've been in person together. Mm -hmm. But I have really fresh memories. One, I'm just holding my back pocket for a moment <laughs> All right. and, and share. But I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Drew. Thank yeah. you. Thank Love you. that we're doing this together. Absolutely. And I just got done sharing a story of really just a poor example of leadership, in my opinion. Not all his fault by any means. There's responsibility both ways in organizations when these things happen. But we have just seen so many leaders fall in unhealthy ways over the last two years. Mm -hmm. And it seems like clearly we are just not on the right track. So my question is, what do you see the future of leadership 
needing to look like? So that's a big question. There's not a, hey, Drew, I'm so glad you invited me here. I had the answer. Right. Of course. None of us do, um, right? No, but I love, I, I think we have to talk about it. Sure. I think it's, I agree with you 100%. It's heartbreaking. Mm. The, the number and to the extent that I'm constantly hearing and we are seeing happen. I have the privilege to be uh, part of a team that works specifically with pastors in small churches less than 500, less than 200. And I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. And I would also add that not only pastors, but church leaders. Yes. And something that happened again just yesterday is I said um, to my best friend, I'm like, I feel like my thing in life, I'm coaching these leaders, but it's really to help them find a way off staff, healthy. Because it's almost, if I go back the track record, the, the last group of people, all of them had stepped off staff and they needed to. And then I get a, I just finished a workshop with some leaders. It was a four week workshop and I got a text from one of them and she was telling me how she got blindsided and could we talk? And so we spoke and immediately I'm counting on my fingers, one, two, three, four red flags, four things that are so unhealthy happening in her world that were wrong. And I'm like, okay, let's break that down and see where we can offer grace. But then her follow-up thing was, I've been thinking of quitting, but this time it's different. Can you walk me through it? And I thought, here we go again. Wow. Here we go again. So the world needs the local church to be healthy. We need the local church, but we need that local church to be healthy. So leadership is where it starts. So when you talk about health, I think that's a great word to wrap around it because really as the church, our job is to always be healthy, right? Like we're doing everything we can to lead people, but we're caring for individuals and it's, you can't care for people if you're not healthy yourself. So when you talk about these leaders Mm -hmm. that are transitioning off, and like you said, you can just count them right away. What is the contributing factor is the main thing just everyone's burning out? Are we not caring for these leaders? Do we not even have a system set up to where that's a priority? Yes, to all of that. Mm. I feel it always comes from the very top. And when we're talking about the church environment, it has to start with the main leadership of a church. In some churches, it's the pastor, and some it's their governing board or the elder board or the deacons, whatever top leadership is. Things have become, and this is a very sad word to say in church world, but competitive. It feels like we have to do more. We have to do bigger. And even if I'm a church that doesn't have the resources, I'm going to figure out a way to make it happen if it kills me and all the people around me. And nobody wants to hear, we can't do something. And no one wants to say, gee, I don't think I can do it because I don't want to be seen as, oh, I don't trust in God. I don't have faith. I'm a bad Christian. You're weak. And so everyone just goes along and nods until we start dying and we're falling out. And then at that point, it could be too late. Hey, Marianne, when you say competitive, do you mean if you're a small church and you've got a mega church in your community and they have a children's program and they've got a cool Friday night thing, and so you feel like you need to have a similar set of offerings for people to come to your church? Yes, and... So definitely for the smaller churches, because I've heard these pastors say, we have to compete. We have to also have this. And I say, no, you don't. 
No, nope. you don't. I, I, every church, just like every home individual, God is designed to meet a specific purpose. Figure out yes. what it is and do that. It's like, for me, could I run a catering business? Yes, I've done that in the past. Could I also take care of my grandchild? Yes. Can I do both of them? No. And so I think to your question, Joe, there's that competitive, but I would always even say to the larger churches, it becomes an internal competitive of either having to maintain this impression or this facade or this idea that we have to maintain. And at every level, big church, medium, small, nobody wants to say time out. Let's think about what we are really called to do with what we have, with what our resources, our time, whatever. They just don't want to do it. And they and here's the other part, being on church staff, I understand Sundays come around ridiculously fast. Like you just get through a Sunday and you're just going through and now Sunday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's always seven days away. Always. And to say, put on the brakes. Let's really have that conversation can put you on the blacklist. You can get blackballed. You are seen as a outsider. You're seen as someone trying to stir trouble and we're really just trying to get healthy. So I think the competition, when I use that word applies across the board. And I'm glad you mentioned calling because that's where the competition is. Mm -hmm. I'm not, we can call it and pretend to call it a competition between churches, but really what it is looking at someone else's calling and go, I wish I had that and not being, I guess not being sure enough in yourself and in who you are in Christ to go. That's not what God's called me to. Okay. Okay. But I, we have to add another component to all, all right. that and it's called accountability. Hmm. Tell me more. I love that word. <laughs> I love that word. People hate it, but it's like the the best thing. It really is a, a safe and a growing place to be. When I was leading volunteers at a church um, and building leaders, we started wrestling with the question, why is that person a leader? And why would we allow someone to lead here? And what does that look like? And why is this one causing trouble? Or why is this one so hard? And so I would pull my leaders in and we would sit in front of a whiteboard and we would wrestle those very questions because we, I, my big word, in addition to accountability is clarity. If we're all running in 15 directions and you can't read my mind and I can't read yours, that's not sustainable. It might work great for an event or one Sunday, but that's not sustainable. And we're talking about sustainability and health. So develop this whole leadership path, but I kept saying, we have to simplify. And I'm okay with oversimplifying things that then you can have conversations from it. So we yes. came up, because never it's never was just Marianne's idea, that we're looking for leaders that had two primary characteristics. And I know you eat leadership stuff for breakfast. Like you just love it as much as I, I do. do. And so there's a ton. So for me to say it in two words, you're going to go, wait, but that's okay. All right. That's okay. We were looking for people that were approachable and coachable. Mm, I like it. And with those two things, that was a great starting point that we could use as a filter to see, is this the right person, but also for ourselves. So I had to go, 
what does that mean? Am I approachable? Do I come off as too busy? And you know, I need to be approachable as Jesus was from my peers, the people that I am under authority and people that I have authority over. It shouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be so unapproachable. Go, oh, wow, she's too busy or, oh, she's in, she thinks she's so important or right. what have you. So there's that whole conversation we have with people and what that looks like. But the coachable part is not only can you come to me and go, hey, Marianne, we need to talk. But here's the big thing. Do I ask for it and invite it? Do you lean into it? I mean, I had a head usher that ran an amazing business. I had no business telling him to do anything. (laughs) Nothing. Right. Gotcha. And he would come to me every single time after he served and said, tell me what I could have done better. And I was like, you're amazing. He goes, no. No, Marianne, I, what did you see today that maybe I missed? That's an amazing leader, yet he was probably my most quietest. If you were to point him out, you'd go, him? Yet he built community. He built real teams. He was faithful, respected, mm-hmm. all the things. Because he was not only willing to be coached, but he invited it in. And when we don't invite and have that air that I can approach you and come with you with the hard thing. So let me pull my thing out of my back pocket, my story for you. I think this is perfect. All right, right. here we go. Okay, so back in the day when we were serving together, working together, you were this new talent, smart, hotshot guy. (laughs) Go ahead and laugh. Smart meaning young, hotshot meaning young, (laughs) talented meaning for your age. Yeah, I got you. intimidating because you were so you're so talented you truly i just remember wow this guy can sing and sing and talk like (laughs) you just had the ability to to have a presence and understand what people needed to hear so you're just talented that way and that can intimidate and make you unapproachable to a lot of people that's my real point and i remember going through a hard time i don't know if you'll ever remember this your lovely bride was with you and yep you're nodding. Are you remembering what I'm going to? Sh- I do. Okay. Yeah, I do. I know exactly what you're talking so, about. So it was like rehearsal and you said something. I have no idea what it was, but it, it was the way you said it more than what you said. And I loved you too much to have you say that in real time. And I knew where it was coming from is a common place of hurt and frustration. And I knew that if I let that go and you could replay it, you would really hate yourself for that. You were like, I know I'm better. You're approachable. Like we had talked enough. I said, I can go to him and have this potentially hard conversation because basically I'm coming to you saying, hey, that wasn't cool. And yet, and I said, I have to share something with you. You may not like it. And your first thing was you sat down and you said, tell me. That's what I'm talking about. You could have easily said, Marianne, leave me alone. Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. What have you? That's the difference right there. And I remember I thought, oh my gosh, I love this guy so much. This is this speaks so much to your character and what you say from the platform or in any setting, really you are speaking from your heart. So you're the real deal. You're authentic. This is a guy I can get behind. I appreciate that. I remember that conversation. You do. do. (laughs) And let me also speak to the other side of that too. We have to be really good at having those conversations regardless of what side we're on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I have 
recognized in my ministry career is that people aren't used to hearing bad things and people aren't used to telling people hard things. And so here's an example. One of the things that that I have started doing, I, I do this every year now. Some people who are closest to me, I send them an email. And all the email says is, I've worked really hard this year to get better. I want to keep doing that. Tell me something I don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. That's the email I send. That's awesome. What's fascinating is how many people don't reply back. Oh, that's what's so fascinating yeah. to me. Yeah. Because we have become, and, and I mean, top leaders in ministry, fr- friends that, that run million dollar corporations that are uncomfortable saying, yeah, you can mm-hmm. work on this. Mm-hmm. I'm asking, hurt my feelings. <laughs> like I'm asking for it. I want to get better. Yeah. And we've got to be willing on both sides to recognize that. And that's one of the things with you. You mentioned in the story that you knew mm-hmm. that I wouldn't want to come across a certain mm-hmm. way. And so you knew mm-hmm. that you would, that I would want that moment. And we got to want that for people. Yeah. yeah. We have to want that for others. We have to look out for each other. And that's, care looks different in different moments, but that was a, that was an opportunity for you to care for me. And that's what that did. So I was willing to trust the conversation because I saw it as, wow, she values me mm-hmm. enough to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And so why would I get defensive when you're literally saving mm-hmm. me at this moment? And those are the kind of moments that build teams. I find that teams get way more connected through conversations that end well and that spur growth than we ever do with these like team building exercises yeah, in a staff meeting. Here's a defining thing. Here's a little bit of a, a branch off what you were just sharing is that's built on relationships. Yes. Okay. Whether you're a leader of a small church or a leader of a mega church, you need a small group of people that you have built that intimate, accountable relationship, and it has to go two ways. I remember some of the pastors come to me and they're going, oh, your leaders seem to be great and we're always looking at leaders. What are you doing? And I remember thinking, I have no clue. <laughs> like I'm like, I don't have the magic sauce. <laughs> But here's when I started thinking through it later. I was like unapologetically about making sure that I was going to level the playing field in church. So when they would come to my, I had a leadership 101 class, so to speak, it was more about, look, if you see me struggling, I need you to come to me. I need it. I'm asking for it. And this is what it can look like because I love you. I'm going to come to you. And we're having this conversation now where everything is cool and happy because later when it's not, I can point back to this and say, remember, we agreed to do this. And that was the foundation, which is really accountability. But through that, we started building relationships. So not just anyone on my, say, leadership team could just walk up and say, and you do have to earn the right to say hard things. And that comes through relationships. You probably heard me talk about, I created what I call the Justice League. Mm -hmm. And it stemmed out of me really being in a hard season and feeling, I don't know if I'm hearing truth. I don't know if people just saying things they want me to hear, but I know I need it. 
And if I don't have it, I'm going to crumble even more than I already was struggling with and burnout. And so I invited a small group together and we'd already had the relationship built. And I said, look, this is what I'm looking for. I need an accountability group. I'm, I'm not, I'm so not kidding. We're going to meet every month at 6 a.m. somewhere and we're going to really talk about hard things and I need to hold it accountable. They actually came up with the term, the justice league because they were awesome. And they go, well, that's boring to be a board of directors or something. <laughs> These are my people when that's, when they say, can we be the justice league? 100%. So we started doing that. And here's what they would say to me. I remember I went whining to them about something and I was like, I can't believe blah, blah, blah. And they sat there and said, Marianne, you are under authority. You mm. have to be obedient to it or you have to leave. Wow. And I like, and I remember going, yep, I knew that. I just needed someone to tell that to me. Yes. So I got my act together and I had to figure it out. But then I did the same thing you did. I said, and this is after we've been meeting for a year. I said, the next time we meet, I need you to tell me what I'm doing good. Cause right now I think I do nothing good at all. Nothing. <laughs> And I said, and I need you to tell me what I need to stop doing, that it's because it's hurtful to others or myself or I'm doing it poorly. And we met at Bob Evans <laughs> over there at 6 a.m. And we got around one of those long, those big round tables in the corner. I brought a notebook and a pen and I said, go. And I said, nothing. The rest of, I just wrote everything down. They said everything down. And even then they were like, you really want to hear it. I'm like, and they knew me and they go, okay. And one guy brought up something that happened four years ago. <laughs> and I'm a human being. And of course I want to go, are you kidding me? That is old news, dude. But, yeah. but I didn't, I just wrote it down. Right. And one of the right. Wonder Woman or Aquaman said later, <laughs> they were like, Wow. I know that was four years ago and you didn't say a word. Good job. I just had to commit and show to them that if I'm asking you to speak into me, I cannot get defensive. I just can't. Right. I just have to take it. I grew from that and our relationships got even stronger. That really just carried me through the, the last year or so that I was there. That's great. And I love that you said, if I'm asking for it, one of the things we talked about on episode one is that authenticity and vulnerability cannot be forced, that there has to be an environment created for that. And that environment is trust. And when you're in a trusting relationship, you can give feedback. When you're in a trusting relationship, you can ask mm -hmm. for feedback. What you can't do is out of the blue, just decide this is my moment <laughs> <laughs> to just to just go in hard. And I'll be honest with you, in my experience, I've just seen a lot of leaders. I always think feedback is healthy, but as a leader, embarrassment is mm. not. I find it interesting, Marianne, that the, the common theme that you seem to keep coming back to is we have to make sure our staff, that we trust them and that they trust us. We, we have to show them care. We have to help them, coach them, lead them. We have to love them. We have to be for them. Is it possible? Now, this is going to be really bold, right? This, is, this could be out there. Maybe I'm crazy. But it sounds it, like you're asking for feedback. Maybe. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> right? Is it possible 
that the future of ministry, I can't even believe I'm going to say it, the future of the church is just caring and loving and being for your team. I'm, I'm out now. You got to stop. Is that too crazy? Is that too wild of a thought? Is it possible that if you're a lead pastor and you care for your staff so well and your goal is that your family's healthy and that the families in your ministry are healthy, is it possible mm -hmm. that they would then reciprocate that to That's the congregation happened. and the congregation would then do that to the community and that communities and lives would be changed because you decided mm -hmm. to get the important things first? Mm -hmm. I imagine, am I crazy? Maybe I'm crazy. Yeah. Maybe I should walk away. Drew, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> I love it. It's as simple as that. Because leadership really is more about others than ourselves. That's what Jesus was all about. Yes. Period. It's for you. It's for you. It's for you. I will take the hits and I'm going to take the biggest hit of all for you. Absolutely. And as leaders, we get so wrapped up. And that's why you need that accountability group. Because you do have to have someone that is pouring into you, encouraging you, helping you stay within the guardrails. But one of the things that I talk about all the time, as my the volunteer team started growing, we got to about 200 volunteers and I wound up with shingles and pink eye at the same time. Mm. And I remember bent over, walking around, still at work, with the shingles and sunglasses. <laughs> and I remember one of, the, one of the guys were like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, serving the church. Of course. And of course, someone realized uh, what was going on and reminded me when Jethro told Moses, this thing you're doing is not good. It will wear you out. Duh. I was physically out and it will wear the others out. And I remember that's when I was getting a lot of just gruntled volunteers. Mm. There was gossiping. They didn't like me. They're like, oh, she's too busy for us. I could not take care of 200 volunteers. Now, could I schedule them? Could I put them in posts? But I was not caring for them. Here's the thing. My leaders would come to me because they knew that they had a voice a real voice to make change. They could come and and challenge me and bring me ideas that I have shot down in the past. They go, hey, we have a new idea. I think this will be better. And I'd go, let's make it happen. And they would say, Marianne, you need to let go more. And of course, I'm a big baby. I'm like, no, that's my baby. And I got mentoring from someone who was pretty amazing. And I can't believe it was a God thing that she even came into my world and said, I'll mentor you. She kept saying, Marion, it will be richer than you can imagine. Mm -hmm. You're holding on to the little things. And when I started letting go and I said, okay, my group is just going to be these small, uh, the high level volunteer leaders. I'm going to pour into them, meaning I'm not going to tell them what to do. We're going to do leadership development. We're going to do um, spiritual development. We're going to really care for one another. And modeling that, they then cared for the team leaders. And the team leaders were feeling loved and cared for. And wow, you see me and it matters and you're for me. That then they started caring for their volunteers. Because now we had 500, 700, 800 volunteers. It had to be broken down and it had to be modeled from the top down. And so I 100% agree with you that the magic sauce simply was <laughs> caring for a small group 
leading them well in that way because they're going to figure out the to-do things. Sure. But we put that on top right? as the only thing we should be doing. Yeah, we get into the mechanics and not the mindset. Yeah. Not the motivation. And, and we... And those people, again, it was a two-way street. Like I was leading them, but they also knew that they were loving and caring for me as well. And they would say to me, these again, y'all, were smart, brilliant people who I had no business to tell them to go stand or do anything. Sure. And they would say, hey, we have some suggestions. We're thinking this is not so cool. Can we have a meeting about it? I'm like, sure. And so we'd meet on a Saturday morning and- they would then say, we understand at the end of the day, Marion, it's your final decision. We understand that you have things at your level that we can't know. But they also knew that I would totally take everything they had to say and we would come up with a great solution. And so then I would have people say, Marianne, how do you get people to your meetings? No one wants to come to a meeting because it's not my meeting. Right. Right. It's, it's our. And that's like ownership. But if I'm going to pontificate and just tell people what to do, I ain't going to that meeting. Yeah, there's no ownership in that. When people solve problems, they gain ownership. They get empowered through that. So I think that's great. One of the things that I'll often tell my staff is the greatest thing you do in ministry shouldn't be something your hand touches. Mm -hmm. Watching someone else succeed, watching someone else lead, watching someone else create a group around them that they get to lead. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Hey, thanks again so much for listening today. What a great start to our interview with Marianne Sibley. You can check out part two of that interview coming up in a few weeks in episode three. Again, I want to encourage you to check out my social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. I also want to thank you for listening to this second episode of Hope After Hurt. Listen, if you have found some value in this episode, would you do me a favor? Would you consider writing a review? It's really quick, it's easy, it's simple, and reviews help this podcast rise to the top in searches. Would you maybe also consider sharing this with someone? You never know what someone is walking through, and this could offer encouragement to someone today. I really look forward to reading your stories and connecting with you more on our Facebook group as we continue to build community around healing, hope, and heroes. Episode three of this series will be out in the coming weeks, and I can't wait for you to hear part two of our special guest, Marianne Sibley's interview. In the meantime, keep saying yes to what God has next. Thanks for listening to Hope After Hurt. If you enjoyed this episode or found it useful, please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend. Join the Yes Community on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Yes Community. On Instagram at yesco underscore community. TikTok at Drew's Barker. And for show notes, visit the website at yes.transistor.fm. This show is produced, edited, and engineered by Podcast Carry. Thanks for listening.